welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're talking about ICOs, initial coin offerings, which sounds very exciting, and I'm going to need the help of two geniuses. So I'm joined by Mr. Tony DeBell and the lovely Katie Woods. Welcome to the studio. Thanks. Applause. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. So ICOs, first of all, before we get started, they're a new area of accounting and we're really just beginning to see them and trying to work out what the debits and credits are. So today we're really just talking about some of the questions and thoughts and we don't have a specific PwC view on this and it's just the opinions of the people I'm speaking to. So Tony, Rather an opinion, what is an ICO? Let's start at the beginning. An ICO is a fundraising for the 21st century. I think what typically happens in an ICO is that an issuer will issue digital tokens in exchange for consideration, which is often in the form of cryptocurrency, although it can be in the form of fiat currency. But the essence of an ICO is that, it, is that it's a way of raising funds. And fiat currency, for those people like me who didn't know, it's a car, it's cash. So uh, I'm, we're all over these new terms now. Uh, can you give us an example? Yeah. So let's say that a company has an idea to develop a specific product. Maybe it's a platform on which people are able to trade different cryptocurrencies. That company needs some funding to be able to develop and then launch the platform. And so it prepares what is often known as a white paper, which explains what it's going to do, the uh, tokens it's, it's going to issue and the terms under which those tokens will be issued. That white paper is circulated, subscriptions for tokens are invited, uh, and then the the ICO is, is launched. The, the subscribers pay whatever the the consideration is, and they receive the tokens which will be subject to the terms of the white paper. Okay, I'm literally imagining this bit of paper that I'm ripping off a token. <laughs> Obviously, that's not happening, but that's how I've seen it in my head. So, do we have an accounting standard for this? No, there is no accounting standard that deals specifically with cryptocurrency, which I know we've talked about in this series previously, or with the accounting for an initial coin offering. And so the accounting will follow other standards to the extent that they are relevant. So you'd first think about the guidance in IS8, and you would think about how the rest of the IFRS framework would apply to the accounting for an ICO. So Katie, coming mm. to the easy question for you, then. <laughs> there's no standards, let's look at ISA. What, yeah, what are the debits and credits? Yeah, that's a, a lovely question. Thanks, Ruth. So I suppose let's think about the, the scenario that, that Tony gave and start with the debit. From the issuer's perspective, the debit is going to be the the currency, the consideration that they've received, be that fiat, which obviously is cash, so you just recognise as cash. If it's cryptocurrency, then we need to think about how that would be accounted for. All right, reference ISA. But I think when you chatted about cryptocurrency before in the previous podcast, yeah. you focused on the fact that it would probably either be inventory, so you'd hold it at, at the amount that you've received it in, or depending on what it's going to be used for, it might then otherwise be be an intangible of some description, but but an asset. 
all the same. Yeah. Okay. So perfect. Yes, we did. We talked to Gary about that. For those people that haven't written, we do have a podcast on the the debit side of cryptocurrencies. So what about then the credit? So the credit is is more difficult. What we're saying is that from the issuer's perspective, they've written this white paper and they have provided something to the subscriber. And it's identifying what that something, really good technical terms here, but what that something is in terms of then the recognition in the financial statements as as the terms of the credit. So credit white paper as well. Not too so far. So Tony, if I'm doing credit white paper, what what can I consider to work out where that credit is going? So... My sense is that there's been an exchange transaction. So subscribers have effectively acquired digital tokens in exchange for valuable consideration. So the subscribers are clearly expecting to get something. So then we turn it around and look at it from the perspective of the issuer. It would seem that the issuer has promised to do something for the subscribers. So there's been an exchange of consideration. There has been an exchange transaction. And so the next question is to say, well, what has the issuer promised to do or to give to the subscribers? And I think that would be the starting point. It would be to understand the rights and obligations that attach to the digital tokens that have been issued in the transaction. Now, white papers are, there's typically not a legal environment that addresses the the terms of the white papers specifically. So there may be a question mark about whether or not the terms of the white paper are actually legally enforceable. But my sense is that that would have to be the starting point. It would be to say, what has the issuer promised to do or to give to the subscriber in exchange for the consideration? Okay, I mean, that's a really good way to look at it. So what does the white paper do, what they obligated? Like just thinking of what, just listening to you both, you know, they've got something in and... Uh, giving tokens about what is that token. So mm. Katie, what's like the first thing you should think about? Well, I, I almost think of it, and exactly thinking about Tony's point of, of not legally enforceable, but you probably look to see if this was caught by, first of all, is it a financial instrument? So within that white paper, is there, and you may have to go and talk to a lawyer about this, but is there a contractual obligation to provide cash or and so as a consequence perhaps of of Tony's example of a platform not working does the subscriber for the token get their money back or are there other contractual obligations to pay cash if if you don't fall into that classification of financial instrument you then move on and say well is it an equity instrument is it like owning a share in an entity that is is setting up to provide the platform in Tony's example. So you would look at the normal criteria in IS32 to determine if you've got equity. So is there a right on a winding up? Is there a right to a residual interest in the business? Look, are there there dividends? Are there there rights to a certain amount of money to be paid out? Again, referring back, I know I keep referring to it, but referring back to the white paper. And you'd need to go almost down a tick box to determine if either of those criteria have been satisfied, financial liability or equity. So I know, I know it's a phrase we use a lot in accounting, but it sounds very facts and circumstances specific mm. to what is specifically written on this piece of paper mm. to what the issuer is basically obligated to give. Correct, I'd agree, I'd agree. So so we might have debt, we might have equity. Yeah. What's another might, Tony? What if those two don't tick the box? I think there are several other mites. 
I would actually like to, to, to endorse wholeheartedly what both of you just said, which is that the accounting for each one of these transactions is going to depend on the terms of the transaction. Uh, I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all answer for this. It's always going to determine. It's, the, the accounting will always be determined by the facts and circumstances of the transaction and the terms of the white paper. So we then move on to think about circumstances in which there is no contractual obligation on the issuer to deliver cash or another financial asset. There is nothing that is evidence of a, of a residual. The credit could be some other type of liability. So, for example, if there was an obligation to simply refund cryptocurrency, that wouldn't be an obligation to transfer cash, mm. but it might still be a, a liability for the refund of that cryptocurrency. Another way of looking at it might be to think about whether the issuer has promised to deliver goods or services to the holders of the tokens. So maybe if we go back to my example of the the funding being used to develop a platform on which cryptocurrencies could be traded, maybe the, the issuer has promised discounts on transaction fees, or maybe the issuer has promised preferential access to that database, which might be for a specified period of time, it might be for an indefinite period. But once it appears as if the issuer is... Or, or has promised to provide goods or services, that might, might make you wonder whether you should be accounting for it in accordance with the revenue standard. Wow, so we sneaked it into the scope of IPRS 15. I suppose you can't get into the scope of IPRS 2. <laughs> oh, I can't wait, one. yeah. I'm sure you will. <laughs> so, because we love IPRS 15, the next thing, if you think you're in the scope there, you, sound, you mentioned there it could be goods and services. Could we get a scenario where there's like more than one performance obligation? Yeah, I think that would be uh, something that would be possible. I think, as I say, it would, it would depend on the terms of the initial coin offering and the terms in the white paper. But once you conclude that the, the substance of the arrangement is a contract with a customer under which goods or services are going to be transferred, then you would have to apply the rest of the IFRS 15 model to determine uh, what the promises or what the performance obligations in that arrangement are and the basis on which revenue is going to be recognised. Mm. Possibilities for accounting is endless in this one, isn't it? <laughs> this is like a techie accountant's dream. <laughs> All the different every standard possible to find an answer. <laughs> okay, so we could have more than one performance obligation. Coming back to you, Katie, if we've got like, access to this platform and there's no end date, mm. you've got like an indefinite and I'd love to be able to give you a direct answer spread over infinity yeah and from a mathematician that's amazing I love that idea so th- the interesting thing is that when the issuer provides the token to the subscriber in most scenarios that I've understood that subscriber can then pass or transfer the, the token on to another subscriber. So, you know, there's a market for those tokens, which means not only might you, as you correctly say, have an indefinite access to, in our example, the platform, but it's then can transfer, or sorry, that there is a there is transference of that token and therefore that right to an indefinite period. So the quick and easy answer is, well, you spread the revenue over infinity, but um, that doesn't work you need to think about what you think is the most likely period probably and when the goods and services are starting to be provided so you can't assume that just as the ico happens then the 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 holder of the token the subscriber 
will get immediate access to those goods and services. Maybe a period while the the business idea is formulated to then be able to recognise the revenue. Okay, so there could even be some deferral. From Absolutely, the, the point of recognition is another another thing for us to think about. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so really could fall into almost anywhere in the book other than maybe uh, bear plants, which falls into agriculture. So we're all right. One one standard down. So. Uh, right up front, we talked about, is there a standard? And I think we said no, but look to ISA and develop a framework. My question here, if there isn't a standard, is always, Tony, what's the board doing about it? The board does not have a project at the moment. I think this is very much an emerging area. And it's something that, uh, looking to the future, is something that maybe the ISB would want to consider. But at the moment, it doesn't have a project that it is working on uh, in connection with either the accounting for ICOs or or the accounting for uh, cryptocurrencies. Okay, so something there we might, not on the agenda yet, but hopefully, fingers crossed, Mm -hmm. we'll see something there. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I think that brings us to the end. Lots of really just some food for thought, I think, if you're thinking of doing an ICO, what are some of the considerations? And what I heard from both Tony and Katie was it's going to be very fact-specific. Look at what's in that white paper and then work through the the different accounting standards. Absolutely. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we've got lots of information available on this on pwc.com forward slash IFRS. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Ruth Pretty. Happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.